Stephen, you're right. Hi, Johnny. Oh, it's going to be a wonderful chat, this, I can tell. Because, (laughs) what is your favourite part of Edinburgh's old town? My favourite part of Edinburgh's old town, um, which is very deserted at the moment, is Victoria Street. So I don't know if you know Victoria Street. Is the correct answer. Um, So we we, we got married in Victoria Street. It's not there anymore, but the old registry office used to be at the top of Victoria Street. So we got married in Victoria Street the registry office and had our photos taken on this sort of balcony bit at the top. So is it now a hotel? Uh, I think it was being turned into a hotel. I, I, I've actually been, I've lived in Edinburgh much longer than I've lived in Fife now, if you add, add up the years. So I don't know, I feel I feel sort of, uh, I was born in Belfast and my family were all in Northern Irish, so I, I, I don't feel 100% Fife, 100% Wraith Rovers, but not, not 100% Fife. <laughs> so as much Edinburgh as I am Fife. I can declare Scottish nationality because I lived in Edinburgh between 2006 and 2011. All right. I studied so. Greek and Latin at David Hume Tower. Very nice. And um, this was the era, the um, George Square Lecture Theatre is now named after Gordon Aikman, who was, uh, yeah. whom you will know, you will certainly know him. I knew Gordon, yeah. Can we talk about Gordon just at the top? Because he is the example of what everything good about life should be. Yeah, well, I, I, don't, I don't know Gordon uh, tremendously well, but obviously our paths cross. I used to work for the Labour Party. He was a, a slightly younger generation than I am uh, than I was. So I, I guess as I was sort of leaving to, to set up my own business, he, he was sort of coming in uh, in that. But you know, re- really, really good guy, a really, really nice guy. Obviously. I know his. I know his widow. I never really knew Gordon, but I support everything going on with the MND Foundation. That his memory serves and it's amazing that he his name now adorns a lecture theater that i've been in many many times um oh that's fantastic perhaps the spirit of gordon aikman should be in scottish women's fit bar can we call it fit bar or is it football football yeah well i, I don't i'm happy with football i don't know maybe it's going to come back to my northern irish roots uh, but football's fine for me but of course. Uh, I, I do go with the football uh, the plan is to talk about Wraith Rovers and everything to do with that in the first half and then talk about yeah. your book, which, as this goes out, is in the world. It's called Arrival and it's subtitled yeah. How Scotland's Women Took Their Place on the World Stage and Inspired a Generation, which is true. Um, when did the concept for the book come to you and how nice is it for the book to be out in the world? I mean, firstly, it's amazing that it's out in the world and... Uh you know, that people are getting it and, and I'm starting to get feedback from people who have actually read it, which is really, really nice. And it's always a really nice part of the process and, and, and positive feedback, obviously, so that that's good. Because uh, I think at this stage, there's always a slight nervousness about how it's going to be received and particularly by the, the people whose story it is. Um, but I've had some really nice feedback from a couple of people uh, from that front, which is really positive. But, yeah, no, it's, it's great to be out there. I guess it came, it came, it came to me, I mean... Um, well, I said first and foremost, I guess I'm a fan of the team. We went to the Euros uh, as a family. We went to the World Cup as a family, and I guess sort of post the Euros was when the first idea sort of came that I so this would be something I'd, I'd already written the Wraith Rovers book that had been out, and I was thinking I, I kind of want to do that again. And but it was a t- finding a topic, and the the women's game, I guess, to me was was a really in, really interesting topic. And having been to the Euros. And experienced that, 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 that I guess was a natural place to go just because of personal circumstances. I, I couldn't do it at that point. And I, actually, that was 
beneficial in the end because obviously Scotland qualified for the World Cup and then it became an even bigger bigger story I think so um, but it was probably back just around the Euros when uh, I first had the idea of writing it and I think yeah, much like the Wraith book I guess I'm, I'm attracted to eight teams that I'm passionate about uh, but also I guess those who don't really get the credit for what they've done um, and, and in a way this is a slightly untold story as well in much the same way the Wraith Rovers one was you know if you're a fan of big clubs either in England or in Scotland you know but in Scotland, you know, your your Rangers and Celtics, uh, you go you go to bookshops and there's countless books about them, countless books about their players. But I guess the sort of beyond that, it then starts to get a little bit patchier. So, um, so I was keen, I guess, to to tell the story uh, and and give these players credit for what what they des- what they've achieved. And um, you know, a lot a lot of players when I started interviewing them talk about, I guess. A historic invisibility of the women's game that it's not written about it didn't get coverage you know it's just not seen um, and I think the game has definitely suffered from being sort of hidden or invisible in some sort of way and that's getting better but you know it is, it is out there a lot more and people do recognise it a lot more but it's still probably not where it should be so hopefully my hope for this book is that it maybe plays a small part uh, however small in sort of giving the teams and players a credit and, and also just getting women's football out there and, and that story out there, I think. It's a useful companion to Carrie Dunn's books on the Lionesses, the England women's team. But as Jan Raven's impersonation of Kirsty Walk would say, more on that story later. <laughs> you do get your football library, laminated library card. Usually Brian Glanville goes on it, but would you prefer Gordon Brown on it? Yeah, I think I think Gordon Brown uh, makes sense. He's obviously the Wraith, Wraith Rovers connection. He's uh, sort of deeply rooted into into Kirkcaldy and, and that club. I, I guess from a political background as well. That that sort of makes a little bit of sense as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy for Gordon Brown to be on there. He seems to be. I hope history does claim him as one of the best prime ministers. I didn't vote for him, but Scottish politics. I never got so involved in it. It was always in the student papers and I knew what a Kezia Dugdale was and a Mike Swinney. I knew what they were and what a Salmond was. It was, I always remember watching Liverpool Man United in a pub in uh, Brunsfield. And I just remember thinking, this is two bags of money kicking a ball around. I don't want to watch this game. And at the time, Scottish football at the end of the twenty at the end of the 2000s wasn't particularly fun either so I went off football for a few years maybe I should have gone up to Wraith Rovers because yeah. that the, you yeah, still had a club I, yeah the club was going well then at the end of the 2000s although you were in Edinburgh yeah. no I was, I was in Edinburgh oh. I've been in Edinburgh since 95 so okay. yeah 2010 was the sort of the current manager John McGlynn that was his sort of first period so actually we'd be uh, 2010 we got to the Scottish Cup semi-final uh, we ran Dunfermline quite close in the league for promotion to the top league. So that was a that was a sort of a, a good era for the club. I mean, to me, in a sense, women's football is the same as well. Wraith Rovers offers sort of real football and sort of that undiluted by money or uh, VAR or, or all the things that you don't really like or I don't particularly like about football. You can't be a Wraith Rovers fan if you're chasing success or, or, or chasing the high life. You know, there's a... You have to have your fair degree of suffering before you you, you get the the reward at the end of it. But uh, no, I mean it's a it's a great community club. It's 
you know, it's small, but in a sense that offers a lot of opportunities, even in the sense of being able to write the book of the story of their 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 best cup win. You know, I don't think probably you know, if I was a fan of a bigger club, someone else would have done, done that long before I I got around to it. So, so even on that level, but even on a on a level of getting involved in the club, I mean, I feel I kind of feel as if I'm part of the club, and you know, having been been a fan for so long, but you know, I'm on the board of the Race Supporters Trust. Uh, for the last five or so years, I, I ran, sort of created and created and ran, run their uh, kids club, the Rory Club. Yeah, the Rory Club is in Rory as in R O A R, not Rory as in uh, the the yeah, funny uh, Scottish spelling. Although I'd love, I'd love for the cl- the club's families to be called the R U A I H. Yeah, the, the kids might struggle a bit with the, with the traditional spelling of Rory. No, it's Rory as in uh, Rory Rover, who's our mascot, who's a lion. So, uh, so no, for five years I've, I've been involved in that and running that and, and running events and stamping people kids' cards, rewards cards on a oh. Saturday. So yeah, I've just recently given that up. But so, but you can be really part of the club and you can, you know, it's it's very it's very homely. Everybody knows each other. You go to away games, you know, you might not know people's names, but you know, you know everybody on an ordinary acquaintance because you know it's not not a huge crowds. But um, but you know, it's it's really really enjoyable. And obviously, I've a big part of, of of my life since since moving to Scotland and, and starting to support my local team. You are, as we speak, uh, second. You know this. Uh, the listener won't, but as we speak, you're in the top two in the second tier, uh, behind Heart of Midlothian, who look to be running away with the division as well. They should, um, although it's yeah. very strange because Inverness Cali have only played twelve games. I think were they hit by snow and coronavirus? It was actually there was an outbreak at Wraith of, of coronavirus, so it was a game against Inverness that got got cancelled. No, no, I mean we were we were one of the clubs. Uh, I mean this is all a little bit controversial. It's funny being in Edinburgh. I actually live about ten minutes away from Tynecastle. So oh, I remember this, right. but go ahead. I'm surrounded by Hearts fans, <laughs> and actually I, over the years I have, you know, I, I'll go to any football, so I, you know, I have gone down to Hearts quite a lot and, and developed a sort of slight affection for them, I guess, over that time. You know, just for going, going and watching them so often. Mm-hmm. But um, obviously, over the summer, got a little bit better in terms of because Wraith were one of the teams that just, just by default, I think we, we we ended up sort of one point ahead of Falkirk when the when the league stopped or the chair started stopped moving, and uh, so we were a sort of beneficiary of I guess the league being cut short or being called short, and um, and obviously Hearts. I mean, I'd, to be honest, I feel for Hearts. Oh, I feel for Falkirk. I feel for Falkirk, who were a point behind us. You know, I particularly feel for Partick, who were, you know, a, a two. I can't remember what the exact points were, but you know, had games in hand and stuff like that. So, you know, obviously there's teams that have ended up on the on the hard side of it, but just through the court process and everything, Wraith got sort of dragged into it. So, because uh, obviously they were the ones going up um, into the championship, uh, and you know that it's it's got a bit better and a bit of a legacy, not from the race side particularly, but I guess from some harsh fans. So for some reason, of of tarred Wraith as being so responsible for their, their 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 downfall. But I mean, I think le- leaving that debate aside, I mean, the thing that's been really clear is actually we deserve a place in the championship given how we're playing this season. You know, we're, we're doing really well. You know, up for a club the size of Wraith just back into the championship sitting in second place you know some great great results playing some really good football it's just a shame we can't watch it in the flesh as yeah. is the problem as is the problem for everybody is there an eye follow are you allowed to watch uh, 
cameras at the ground beam it into your computer? Yeah, but there's a Wraith TV, which actually is absolutely fantastic. I mean, Wraith TV, it's just volunteers, um, but oh, they've, we've, I guess we got a bit of a head start on other clubs maybe our size because Wraith TV has been established for a long time. And over the years, they've just been professionalising, professionalising, you know, because providing a service, both an audio and uh, to, to people overseas, a video service. So um, they've, they've, they're, they're absolutely excellent, and the coverage is excellent. The cameras, the camera work, everything about it is a really good experience. You get to half time, you know, you get you get player interviews. Uh, so they fill half time with you know really good content, and 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 the, the two guys who I know who do, who do the commentary, you know, are are Wraith fans, but are, are very balanced and sensible, and you know. Uh, are aware that there's another team. So yeah, the experience of watching Wraith, while it's not, you know, you're not sitting at Stars Park, but actually it's a really positive experience. I've obviously watched a few few threads around the and actually most of them are, are pretty good. There's the odd, the odd one that's maybe not not so great, but the, the Wraith one's definitely up there in terms of the service it, it provides. I just have I have this image of Gordon Brown somewhere in like. Kigali or Lagos trying to get a feed so that he can watch Wraith. It's like Elton John used to do with Watford. He always yeah. had to watch what was going. He stopped everything. I just, I, I just, I, I don't know. I'm of, of an era where I still find just that the ability to watch the game remotely amazing, you know. And and that I, I, uh, I spent a year in the US in the early nineties or late eighties, early nineties, and obviously what I had to do to find out the race score then was wait to the Sunday morning, go across by the Los Angeles Times at one of these little American boxes that you put your quarter in and then like flick through 10 sections to get to the sports section you know, and then go down to the bottom to the sort of football results. And, you know, and sometimes it was there and sometimes it wasn't, you know. So the thought of now that if you fast forward 30 years, I could have sat, actually watched the game, listened to the radio build up on, on Radio Scotland, you know, it's just, just phenomenal, you know. So, but it's and- great, it's great that people and still see the games. It would have been at 7am because you were at California. Is Riverside north or south California? Uh, Riverside was very much south. South, so, yeah. So, um, I, actually, I, I did go back to... Uh, I spent about a lot of time in Washington, D.C. just with work for, for a month and a half and that was f- fast-forwarded to 20... What was the one before Obama? 2004 election, US yeah. election. And... Um, and then I could listen to, you know, I, I would sort of get up in the morning and my morning was just filled with listening to sort of sports sound and listening to the results coming in. And then by the time it all finished and all of the results were done, it was it was uh, 12 o'clock or 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock. So you could just get on with your day, you know, it was fantastic. So the, the streaming is, is, is really important, I think, keeping people in touch with the club during what's going on. We do, of course, have state-funded football coverage on BBC Five Live, or as I call it, Radio Bants. But BBC Radio Scotland have this institution. Is it Sunday lunchtime's off the ball or is it before kick-off on Saturday? Uh, they do it both now, I think. Great. So, uh, so they, do it, they do it before kick-off, so sort of 12 till, till 2 or maybe beyond that. And then they do a Sunday one as well. Um, so, no, it's an absolute institution. When I had when I did the Wraith book, I, I went on that, which was a bit of an experience, Ooh, you know. Wow. Very nervous because it's you know it's not a it's not a go on and talk about things. You you have to be there for the whole program. So you know I, I went on that with a little bit of trepidation of you know you've got to think on your feet and stuff. But I was I mean it was a great great experience. But no, they I, I just I like it. And we've also I don't know if you've come across a view from the terrace. I know the name. I wouldn't I wouldn't tell you anything about it. It's a podcast and it's become a TV program. And again. 
similar to off the ball, I think, is just that there's a spirit of sort of the rest of Scottish football in those two programmes. It's not just Rangers and Celtic, so it, it sort of feels feels representative of the whole game, really. And I think to me, as a race fan, that's a that's a hugely positive thing because sometimes it can be just all, all geared too much to these these two huge clubs. You know? yeah. Well, Aberdeen have been trying to break the duopoly in recent years with Derek McInnes. Um, but yeah. when they sold their best player to Salford City, I think that was when the neutral thought, well, <laughs> if, if Adam Rooney can't hack it in Scotland, what's the point? But who's Wraith's best player to have come out of the recent uh, years? To come out of the recent years? I mean, I, th- I, I pointed to, I think we've got, we've got Reagan Hendry, who has, was at Celtic, came on loan to us and then enjoyed it and then came back. I think came back on loan and now has signed for us. He's, he's really, really good. And, and, you know, was playing with us in League One and was probably... You know, is definitely championship level, if, if not above that. So, really, really, really good midfielder. We've also have got Lewis Vaughan as well, who's, who's had, had I think three ACL injuries. Just really unfortunate. But you know, I think aside from that, would have been a would, would have been you know a much higher level in the game. So, um, so th- those are the two probably at, at the moment. But again, we've got quite a strong team, and we just we sold uh, Kieran Bowie to Fulham as well uh, last season. So. There's a good sort of stream of, of, of good young talent coming through at the club, which is obviously great. Now, I know nothing, nothing at all about the League Cup win of 1994. If only there were a book, um, Unthinkable, published in 2014, which is the book that you went on off the ball to plug. How vivid were the memories of 1994 when you wrote the book 20 years later? They're still vivid, to be honest. I mean, and I, it's funny, I write this in, in my own forward and in, into the new book, but I just think football has this ability to have these moments that you just, you can almost take yourself right back there and remember how it felt. And I think, you know, for any Wraith fan, 1994 is, is the absolute pinnacle of that. Because, and I think, I, you know, on reflection, I was very, very lucky because I started supporting Wraith maybe. Um, well, 94, probably, you know, 10 years before that, nine, ten years before that. So I actually had gone through a period of sort of really poor football and struggling, you know, before we got to that level. So I think that made it almost more enjoyable at the time. The, the moments, and there was such drama in in the cup run, you know, the, the wins that they had, the, particularly the semi-final, we were winning 1-0 and comfortable against Airdrie, got a goalkeeper sent off, and then it was just literally just hang on for dear life until penalties and then the, the 16 year old goalkeeper who'd replaced the guy that was sent off you know saved saved the penalty you know which is, is, is just was just a phenomenal moment to get to the final and then to, to play Celtic and you know okay it's not the, the the sort of strength of a Celtic that you would have these days but even then the gap between Wraith and Celtic in terms of just resources support and everything um, to get to their uh, I think Hamden was being redeveloped at the time so they played at Ibrox Stadium so to go to Ibrox to have 10,000 Wraith fans there to take the lead what was incredible and you know obviously Celtic equalised uh, scored with six minutes to go I think it was I'm a bit of a fatalist so at that point when, when Celtic scored to go 2-1 up with six minutes to go I sort of turned to my brother and said you know well you know, we scored first we've not been hammered it's been a good day out type of thing, but you know, th- thankfully the players had a bit more belief than I had. So you know, to e- equalise two minutes later 
and then go on to win it on penalties. It's just, I mean, it was just, just glorious, I think. I mean, it's one of these things I, I still smile about. I'm smiling now, you know what I mean? I'm still, it's still just, it's just a really positive, positive memory. And you knew at the time it was kind of a one-off. You know, it may happen again, but very, very unlikely, I think. But you knew, you knew it was special as well because it's, because it's Wraith. It's not somebody who's up there all the time. You knew this crop of players and the manager we had at the time, Jimmy Nicholl, was just special and you knew, you knew, probably never going to repeat it again so I'm just thankful that I was there for it to be honest Are you aware that the Wikipedia page A. it doesn't footnote your book Unthinkable um, and B. we need the details of who scored and missed the penalties those details are not there They're not there I've actually got a in in the middle of Unthinkable in the photos there's a journalist notepad that someone had found I can't remember the story but someone handed it to me and it's actually a journalist that sort of, you know, they had actually written down the names and then a little tick if they scored and then obviously it gets to Paul McStay and there's a, a little cross. So I, I put a photo of that in, in the middle of the book because it just seemed seemed fairly poignant, I think. But, um, but yeah, well, I, get, I, mean, I guess it goes to that sort of teams that get reported on or teams that get sort of documented, yeah. you know, that there probably are gaps in, and that's exactly the same as the women's game as well. You know, there's, there's, there's less push, I think, to document these games because they're seen as somehow not as important or, or people aren't as interested in them. So that, that obviously is, is an oversight. I'll have I, to go into Wikipedia and edit that. Please do. Um, I recognise two names of the Wraith Eleven: Colin Cameron, whom we know. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, a lot of people around uh, West Edinburgh will know him very well. And I yes. recognise the name Steve McInespy. Is it Stephen McInespy? Did he play for Blackburn or someone? I'll click he it. He played for Bolton. Bolton, Yes. He maybe went to Cambridge. Wraith sold him to Bolton after that League Cup run, so he wasn't there for that. I was playing in Europe. Uh, so he went, and I think he's now in the US, sort of coaching in the US. Mm. Um, but yeah, he went, he went to Bolton, I think £900,000, which is crazy really when you think about it now. But he, he went on. And obviously Colin Cameron played for Hearts, won the Scottish Cup with them, went on to play for Wolves, mm-hmm. uh, played for Scotland. And, you know, Really, really good player, one of the one of the best players I think of that of that era. Who scored the winning penalty? Well, it was it was Scott Thompson saved the penalty. So I'm trying to think of the order now. So it was we went first as we had in the semi final. So we scored. So it was all five were scored from each team. Went to the sixth, and it would have been um, Jason Robotham, who was a right back. I think had played from Welsh player. Had played for Plymouth, I think. Um, he, he scored, and then it was obviously Celtic captain Paul McStay um, who stepped up, and the, our goalkeeper Scott Thompson uh, saved it. So obviously, there's a, there's a, there's a joke among Wraith fans that you know people talk about Paul McStay's penalty miss, and it, you know, it wasn't a miss; it was actually Scott Scott Thompson saved it. So, um, so, so I guess it was sort of Scott Scott Thompson's glory ultimately, uh-huh. but, but rather than the player that scored right before it. And he's never had to buy a drink in Kakadi again. Yeah, no, he's a, I got to interview him. And, uh, I mean, that, that was the hardest part of, of, of the Wraith book was when I was interviewing these people, you know, th- these guys were my heroes, you know, so I had to, I'd sort of leave it to the end to go, you know, I really loved you, you know, <laughs> you're you're a great player type of thing. I had to be, be professional, and, you know, speak to them on a level that, you know, but, uh, but actually inside I was like, you know, I loved watching you guys, you know. They were just the best of times. Yeah. Uh, there is a link to a piece that the BBC ran, which has Wraith's uh, second most famous fan after you, talking about the game. Uh, Steve McInnesby is a coach in, or was a coach in New Orleans. 
So yeah. maybe he had a good Mardi Gras. And um, it notes that following the League Cup win and subsequent foray into Europe that ended with a tie against which team? Bayern Munich. Wraith were able to build two stands. Yeah. He funded, wow. he funded the redevelopment of the ground, which are still there. <laughs> That's phenomenal. When we got into Europe, again, it was one of these things that was just perfect for me because I must have been about 25, 26. So I sort of got, got on. I was working a little bit. So I had that sort of income, I guess, to be able to yeah. go to these things. So I was right from the off. I was like, I'm going to every single one. So we went to the Faroes on a 25-hour ferry, which was the first game. We then flew to Iceland for a day trip to Akroness was the team we played there. There and back in a day. And then by the time it came around to the Munich one, uh, we, we obviously went. We had friends just outside Munich, so we actually went and stayed with friends and went to the Olympic Stadium. And I think there was probably about 1,500 race fans there. And that was just, a, a, again, a crazy. We'd lost 2-0 at home, although the first leg, although it wasn't at home, we played at Easter Road. And then... Uh, and so, you know, it was, it was more just, well, this is the end of the run type of thing. But obviously, Wraith took... Now, Papan missed a penalty. was was the first thing that happened. Jean-Pierre Papan, got, they got a penalty and missed it. Bloomed over the bar. And then, so I thought, that's the highlight of this game. Uh, and then, obviously, Danny Lennon took a free kick off, I think, Andreas Herzog's head and sort of wrong-footed Oliver Kahn and went into the net. And uh, it was just pandemonium, really, because it was that sort of... <laughs> Oh my God, we're back! We're back in this, you know. And and one of my favourite moments support Wraith was a sort of sort of odd moment at half time, where half time it was really you know the whole it was just a complete party atmosphere. You know, everyone was just on a sort of the whole crowd on a total high. Like we're winning one nil in the Olympic Stadium, you know the big the big uh, scoreboards there, which everybody took a photo. Of. And there was just we were, we were queuing up for something, and there was an old guy in front of me in the queue, and he's just like he used to swear up, but you know he's like you know what. We can beat these bees, and I'm like thinking we can. You know, they're, like, they're obviously going to come back at us, but it was it was just the belief I think yeah. that for this ridiculous sort of small small town team to even be in Europe, never mind giving Bayern Munich a run for their money. And I can't remember the name of the Bayern Munich manager, but he was quoted. They, they really sort of uh, I think they played Norwich later on in that run, uh, and they won. They beat. They basically won all their ties pretty easily right up to the final. And, and I think there's a quote where he said, actually, Wraith gave them the hardest game in that whole UEFA Cup winning run. So it, it was a very, very special moment. And that, that scoreboard is, uh, as I said, everybody took a photo of it and has got that sort of famous photo. And there's a photo of it up at Starks Park as well on the stand. That's, and then you invited them back for a friendly, I've just read. Yeah, they came back for a friendly to open up the, the stadium, I think. Uh, and I think we beat them 1-0, didn't we? I can't it was just a friendly, but uh, and I'm not sure it was their full team, but uh, yeah, no, that, so that that was quite nice. But again, they were just you knew they just just glory years really. You knew they were a one off, and they were never probably never going to be repeated, you know. So it was it, for me, it was just let's go along with this, let's let's just enjoy it. Yeah. And actually, interestingly, I, I I turned fifty just before COVID, so December just before COVID started. So we actually had my, my uh, trip where I wanted to go was back to Iceland. I've been back to Iceland a number of times since then. But we went back to Iceland, just myself and my wife, and uh, one of the things we had at our car, so it's like one of the things I wanted to do on that two or three day trip. So I see my 40s was, I want to go back to Akron and to that stadium. So we went, drove out to the town, so it's, it's sort of, you know, 30 minutes outside Reykjavik. 
covered in snow. The season's over, obviously, but the ground was just totally open. So, and we went quite early, so it was a beautiful, beautiful sort of sunrise. The joy of sort of wander around the stadium where twenty years before we'd been sort of standing, <laughs> wait, waiting for Wraith to squeeze through. You know, it just it was really nice, nice moment. God, that's a that's a marvelous story told in the book, unthinkable, all about Wraith Rovers. And then what happened? If that is the zenith, where's the nadir? <laughs> well, the nadir was when we. Uh, well, there was a lot. There's been lots of bumps and ups and downs since since that. Did you almost actually, go bust? Yeah, we won. We, well, well, before that, we won the cup, and actually, we did the double that year. So we won the cup, and then we just kicked on in the league, and actually won the won the sort of old first division to get back into the Premier League, uh, the top league in Scotland. So, so well, from then on, it's been it's been a very very bumpy ride. Uh, probably, probably the lowest point was when we we uh, hired Claude and Elka, the brother of oh, Nicholson no. Elka, as our manager. So he he turned up in Kirkcaldy with with uh, obviously some money, and said, you know, I want to be the manager. And uh, for some reason, our board said, yeah, that's a great idea. That'll really work out well. So, so I mean, that that was a sort of real, real. It took a club a long time to recover from that. So yeah, had had finance. Never been in administration, but I've had real real difficult financial uh, periods in the club. I mean, I, the, the trouble with Wraith, I think, is, I guess, Wraith sort of sit between that part-time, full-time. So I think we're, you know, if, if you look at the part-time, the full-time clubs in Scotland, the Wraith are at, at sort of the lowest end of that, if you like, there. So, but we're not small enough to be part-time. So we're, we're sort of almost at, well, constantly sort of aspiring, I guess, to be, a bit higher up than we, than we are, so and um, so I think that makes the finances of it all a bit a bit struggling. And to that, note, how how horrific has it been for the club in the last year with no incoming? Yeah, I mean it's, it's a challenge, but I I mean for Wraith, I mean I think it's just really really. I mean this is one of the things. Just sort of feel very fortunate that the league stopped when they did, and actually we got promoted. You know, so there's obviously cash from that. The, the supporters raised, I think it was 50,000 quite quickly. Obviously, being in the championship, I mean, again, this is where I feel before, but being, you know, Wraith are playing at the moment and playing games, you know, and have a game on Saturday. The leagues below are just to- totally stopped. So, um, so they're obviously get- getting income from the streams, um, which is great. And then, obviously, there was the government money, which, you know, there, there was a big disparity between what clubs in League One got and what clubs in, in the championship at race level got. So, I don't think they're in the finance. I mean, I'm not close to the finances at all, but I don't think that one of the clubs, if you if you look through Scotland, and like who's really struggling or who's close to the wire here, I don't don't think Race would be down the bottom end of that at, mm-hmm. at the moment. But it's obviously a really difficult time for for everybody That's because cool. all that force, all that income, you know, you had full stands against Dunfermline, full stands against. Hearts and all the hospitality and sponsorship that goes along with that. You know, it's a lot of lost, lost revenue. Are there an odd number of twenty-five-year-old Wraith Rovers fans because of the celebrations after the League Cup success in nineteen ninety-four? <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know, but I'm not, I'm not sure Wraith are benefiting from coming to Starks Park. Although I, I do know from from the kids' club, I do know that one one of the one of the He's out of it now. He's a bit too old for it now. But one of the one of the uh, young boys was named Gordon, and that was after Gordon Dale scored the equaliser in in that game. So don't know, I don't know if that was. I don't know the timeline of, of how old he was. But, uh, 
one of the most significant figures in my club's history is Anne Swanson, who is the lady who was the driving force behind the family enclosure at Watford in the Graham Taylor era. So a lot of 40-somethings and 50-somethings will have benefited from being a Watford fan in the Elton John era when Watford were playing in Europe. Um, Is that similar to what the Rory Club does? And are there now um, graduates of the club bringing their kids, well, before it happened? But the bug of Wraith has been passed on the generations. Well, that, that's the hope, I think. I mean, we're still at an early stage, so it's only been going five years. But in those five years, I think we've had like 800 kids through through the club. Um, so the idea of it, I guess, was just to, to build a better connection between the community and the club. So, the, you know, A, the kids are aware that there's a team in their town, that, you know, called Wraith Rovers, and then B, that they get some sort of connection with it. Uh, so a lot of the early work was just almost getting sort of branded Wraith Rover stuff out into the community through local fair, school visits, all, all these types of things. And then I guess the, the, the core of it was just to have a reward scheme. So it's not a club in the sense that people come along and hang out together on a Saturday. It's more that you're, you're a member and they have events and you can go to those events and actually the core of it is they have, we had our sort of reward scheme so a little loyalty card that you come along and get stamped five stamps and you, you get a prize you know ten stamps you get a better prize uh, and the Race Support Trust have funded that and helped us that so it's free for people to join the idea I guess is down the line that it, it keeps people coming. I mean, I did some research for the club, which is sort of where it came out of with lapsed fans. And actually, one of the things we discovered was that one of the drop-off points was when people had children. So it was as much about the parents as well as the children as well of saying, look, let's create a better environment for kids so that they can come along. They have something to do. There's there's activities to do. We have a South Stand shop. They throw a ball at Rory Rover and whoever gets closest wins a prize at half time. So there's things that can keep them occupied and almost make it not that almost the football's it doesn't matter if the football's terrible, they've still <laughs> had a good day out and got their stamp. Um, so and, and the parents don't have to buy you know, the, the parents. So we've found that, you know, parents have said it actually makes it so much easier for me to persuade them along on a on a Saturday because they know they're gonna get their stamp and they know they're gonna get their South Stand shot ball and have a go at that so we'll see I guess in the, in the long term how, how it plays out but but that's the hope the, myself and the other guy that ran at Ali Moore used to joke that we were trying to create sort of like mini us that you know that we were <laughs> become a fan and, and 30 years later you're still there and you're helping the club you know whether it's financially or just with your volunteer yeah. spare time so we were trying we try to sort of replicate ourselves so that but it's just to give people a connect, connection with the club because I think football you know there's so many other options now for people not even away from football but even within football you know it used to just be even you had the battle against the old firm you know and the traction of that or getting on a bus to Glasgow from, from Krakori but now you have to battle you know people sitting watching Real Madrid or Barcelona or Bayern Munich whoever it happens to be uh, and seeing that type of football and not, not being interested in, in their sort of local club so but that, that's obviously a battle for every, every no, the- club the more I think about it, Watford is um, a local club, but with aspirations to be a nine-figure business. I don't think that's yeah. the right thing to do, but you can't blame the Potsos for trying. Um, I think they may have reached the end of their tether, but we'll see what happens <laughs> there. Um, but I'm more intrigued by Wealdstone and St Albans and Boreham Wood and Barnet, even Barnet, who have a big um, 
plaza in Cannons Park with lots of community pitches and they rent. In yeah. fact, as you know, uh, because you will have um, spoken to people who have played at that stadium at the Hive uh, in the second half. But before we talk about women, uh, just five minutes on politics. Are we all doomed? Is the two-party system broken? Can Mr. Starmer claw back certainly people like me who would never have voted for the English Labour Party? And to take it to Scotland, what can we learn from the great figures of Scottish Labour like Robin Cook, Gordon Brown, Alistair Darling? See, this is this is where I struggle because I, uh, I, I mean, I'm, I, I've always been very political. I've always been very involved in, in politics. I've obviously worked for, for the Labour Party for, for a long period of time. But I, I kind of, I, I, what's the best way to describe it? I, I just, I think sometimes it's a bit of a mire now, you know, and particularly the way that political discussion goes, it's very, it's very sort of adversarial. It's very aggressive and I think I've, I've tried to stay out of it since leaving politics and I've, I've tried to sort of like you know obviously I'm still I'm still engaged still a member but I, I try to sort of stay out of it but I think I mean to me I think the way the way to go is what, what we can learn from those those figures you said I think it, A is respect that you can disagree and you can have a different opinion whether it's on Brexit or independence or whatever Scottish independence whatever it happens to be but actually you know someone else has a valid opinion they might have a different opinion to you you know it's as valid as valid as your own and to me i think what we can learn is just that i guess something that that, that infuses my own personal values is just togetherness is actually there's it's that whole thing we can achieve more together than if, than if we are apart so i think i think there's a you know that 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 plays in football as it does in as it does in life i think so i think they were very much open open to people from other parties open to other ideas so I think, to me, I think the way out of this is there just needs to be a bit more openness about accepting other people have a different opinion to you, listening to it, and then reflecting on it. You know, you still might disagree, but I think we've got too much into you're either for me or against me. You know, and that's if, if, you, if you're not for me on one level, then I'm, I'm going to sort of discount your views completely. So I think more tolerance, more respect, a bit more openness to each other. I think is my we do. Well, that might sound a bit of an apple pie, but <laughs> the I'm greatest love of all. <laughs> <laughs> They're in the future. Yeah. 